This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. John Locke of Freelock talks to us about WordPress, branching, and automation. The biggest thing that we are trying to do is is get open source out there uh, in the world. I, I kind of feel like we've gone down a path where everybody thinks they need to use the software as a service because you know if it's not my core business, I shouldn't be doing. It, I should let the pros do it. Uh, I kind of have a different take on that, uh, coming from the open source world and being entrenched in that for 20 years, close to, uh, where I think you're, there's a real risk of that when you look at all these software as a service companies. Uh, one thing you can count on is they're going to change, and it's not really in your control. Uh, they're mostly most of them are venture backed and looking for an exit. And if that exit is successful to something like Google, they may get shut down if there's only 10 million users. There's just so many risks that are out of your control when you're using a software as a service. And open source provides a real uh, alternative to that. And there's some amazing software that works really well that's totally free for use. The cost is the time to put it in your business and make it work, uh, as well as keeping on top of security and all of the, the costs of owning your own software stack as opposed to using someone else's. And that's where Freelock comes in. We can really help you manage those risks and make sure you're keeping up to date and on top of things. I found your article, Git Branching Strategy Meets Continuous Deployment, very interesting. Well, I was a little surprised to see that that was from three years ago, and it is pretty much exactly what we still do. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so that process, the I mean, there's little improvements that we've had, but we're following the same, pretty much the same process now for three years. <laughs> Tell us about the types of problems you're trying to solve with that. So the the main thing that we're doing here is trying to keep uh, all of our clients' sites secure. And right now, that's it, that ranges from forty to sixty sites uh, that we're doing. And so what we've tried to do is create a consistent process across all of those and uh, catch the bugs, make sure that we're, we have some tests in place so that we can always push a release. So, so that's the, the first goal. And then, uh, and then secondly, we're doing work on the sites, or sometimes our clients are doing works on their sites and using our pipelines to get the quality checks in place. What, so, kind, of, what kind of work? So tell me about your clients and the work. So we have a variety of, of clients, a lot of nonprofits, a fair number of education clients uh, and a growing number of e-commerce uh, and for most of these they're running active platforms that are applications mostly Drupal some WordPress we're starting to do other other apps as well um, but those are our focus so basically there's a steady stream of security and maintenance updates that need to get applied across all these websites and websites are never done, so there's always more work to do, too. There's always improvements. Uh, businesses and uh, organizations that are really using their website as an asset uh, are constantly tweaking things and constantly trying out new looks, new um, organizations of their content, new ways to route their users through. So there's constant work uh, to be done. Sometimes that requires new code, and we want to make sure we don't break other things that are already working well what? on the site. Come on. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? 
that, right? <laughs> I like to talk about what, what we've developed as mistake-driven infrastructure. Okay. Most of what we put in place has come through some mistake that, that either I've made or a client has made or we've seen somebody made make and it's like, let's not make that mistake. We've, let's learn from our mistakes and then we'll put in, okay, how, how do we make sure that we don't make that mistake again? Let's put in a test. Let's have the bot do this backup consistently every single time. Uh, if a bot's doing it, it's not going to forget uh, or skip the line because they're too tired. It just runs. About your uh, your clients, are you uh, you know to borrow? So we met that at coffee ops, and to borrow a term I just learned from there is: Are you managing these as uh, cattle or pets? <laughs> well, we still have pet names on a lot of the servers, but uh, but they're mostly managed as cattle. Uh, when we spin up a new server, we don't do that often. Uh, it's you know once or twice a month maybe we spin up a new server, and so we really haven't automated the the turn on that process because maybe it's in our account, maybe it's in a client's account, maybe it's at Amazon or GCP or DigitalOcean, and trying to come up with a way to automatically provision that doesn't really isn't worth the effort. It's so fast to turn something on through the control panel. <laughs> But once it's live, then we install our, our Salt uh, client on it and uh, list the configs that we want to install and hit go and, and it builds itself from there. So most of the provisioning is automated once the, the box is on and talking to our Salt master. What's the Salt client? So Salt is a configuration management tool and it manages uh, the configuration on servers. Uh, and this is how we get a consistent environment everywhere and make sure that everything is completely up to date on the, the underlying platform, not really for the applications themselves. Oh, okay. So we have a separate system for managing updates to the applications. It's all the server infrastructure that's managed by Salt. When we say platform, you talking like the Drupal or the WordPress, or you mean other things? So Drupal and WordPress in our world are the applications that we are testing and managing. Um, the underlying hardware, the underlying operating system that provides the database, the web server, PHP, uh, most of that stuff we put in Docker containers. Oh, cool. And then Salt orchestrates those for us on top of uh, an OS, which we generally use the latest Ubuntu long-term support. Uh, but we, it's it's really a thin layer. Most of what it actually counts is running in Docker, so we can mix and match versions as needed for a particular site. Um, there's been a lot of change in PHP over the last year. That's been kind of the biggest pain that we've seen is uh, PHP language incompatibility between versions. And and there's uh, a lot of the older versions of PHP have been deprecated and, and have reached end of life. So there's no more security updates coming out. Okay. We still have clients running older versions of Drupal that need uh, old PHP. So that's some of the more management of the infrastructure is allowing us to run old versions of PHP as safely as we can in a container isolated from everything else uh, and, and have solid backups so that these old sites will run well, <laughs> as nice. well as we can. And yeah. something goes wrong, we can recover. And then the article, uh, the blog article um, I looked at was about uh, branch management, and that would be for the application layer then? Yes. Oh. So so our branch management strategy is based on something called Gitflow, which I'm not sure who created it, but it's a pattern of using Git that came out. You know, some people started writing about at least a decade ago. It's not new <laughs> in any way. Um, I see this as 
at one of the when Git first came out, it was so different from uh, Subversion, CS, uh, CVS, and these older source code management tools that were very centralized. Um, there are other, obviously, decentralized uh, version control uh, systems, but none have gotten as popular as Git mm -hmm. and made such a change in the, the overall <laughs> scene. Right. And so people had to kind of come up with new rules that, that worked, and we've kind of gone back to a centralized repository for Git management. I mean, I think most people in the industry is using some central repository, whether it's GitHub or GitLab, so they're kind of repeating the same old patterns. You're using the word went back to centralized repository. Yeah. So you used to have a distributed or... Git repositories are completely dis, uh, con completely distributed. Any Git copy ha has the full history unless you've taken steps to delete it. Uh, so Git does not need a central repository in any way. But there's a lot of benefits to having a central repository. For us, it's needed to trigger builds. It's needed to trigger uh, tests. And it's what our bot will interact with and, and watch. So so having a central repository is, is kind of the way software is done. But uh, it was Linus Torvalds that wrote Git initially. And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and he wrote it because they were moving away from BitKeeper, which was proprietary and was becoming problematic for him to get contributions to the Linux kernel. And so he sat down in a week and whipped out the first version of Git saying, this is what, what I need and why subversion doesn't cut it. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and they, the Linux kernel, I, I don't think there's a central repository for the Linux kernel. Oh, okay. All these maintainers have their own uh, their own repositories, and so they talk about Linus's uh, Git tree, and uh, I don't know if Alan Cox is still uh, involved, but all these major Linux developers maintain their own copies of the, the kernel's source code, and they merge, they send change sets across, you know, it has a built-in email merging strategy, so no central repo needed. You manage your own. Cool. But that's not how most of us mere mortals use it. <laughs> Having a central repo still makes things a lot easier. Guessing one of the problems you wanted to solve is like you have some number of customers on the same version of the application, or the old—is every customer on a separate branch, or at the application level, or is it every customer has a separate repo? Okay. So yeah, so we have sixty-some Git repos that are active right now. We have over two hundred that we're we've worked with at one point or another. Okay. And so every one of these repositories, we follow the same pattern. Uh, and so Gitflow, there has the idea of just keeping some long-running branches, a master branch and a developed branch. And the main idea is that master should reflect what's on production all the time. Um, look, backing up just a second, traditional Gitflow is built for building actual products. And the big challenge that we have is web applications are not products that we compile and ship and then we never see again mm. and until we release another one and ship that. We're shipping to a web server all the time and we can publish a release all the time. So, so it's a different problem. The problem that we're trying to solve is deployment and management as opposed to just software building. Uh -huh. 
And so we needed to adapt Gitflow to fit the way we had chosen to do our deployments. And so the way we interpreted it is master always reflects uh, the, the, the instance that's in production right now or about to go into production if you're catch it in the middle of a deployment step. Develop is our integration branch. So that should be really close to master. Uh, it gets updated from master after a release. Uh, if there are any out-of-band changes, they should all end up on develop. And uh, as individual developers work on new functionality, they will work in a feature branch. So they will take start with develop, create a feature branch, uh, do all their work, and when they're ready to, to launch it or test it with everybody else, they merge it back into develop, and that will kick off the test. Is the idea to control the risk of, of people's laptops getting disappeared before they check in when they're done with the feature? So where I'm going with this is that on the, locally on each developer's machine is, is itself as a branch as well. And I was curious about using branch management at the feature level. A lot of times managing so many sites, a lot of the changes we're making are really small. And it's more overhead to get a local copy on a developer's machine. Uh so often we will use a dev copy of the site that we have running on a central server somewhere and we use uh, the feature branch as a flag to everybody else that hey we're no longer on develop we're on a feature branch because we're doing this work now if there's a critical security update that we want to get out we can switch back to develop and and basically slip the the update the critical update out through our pipeline without having the the in progress work uh, go out accidentally so the purpose of the feature branch is to keep new development contained until it's ready to go so the assumption is that uh, people are checking in uh, something that's not fully finished, and that feature might be taking multiple days. Is, is sort of my takeaway. Yeah. Well, because well, this depends on the discipline of your teams and how you guys operate. And, and so maybe maybe you guys would say this to me: Hey, Lance, even though you could finish that feature in like whatever three hours, you still need to use a feature branch. Is that how you guys operate? So you can. It really depends on the scale of the request. I mean, uh, uh, sometimes we are doing projects that are 40 or 50 hours of work, and that definitely needs to go on a feature branch. Sometimes a client will say, hey, I want to make the, the, the header text in this section bigger. <laughs> We're just going to do that on develop and roll it out because we expect to get approval to do that really quickly. <laughs> mm. So it's a judgment call. Um, do the developers run the tests on their, uh, uh, on their laptops before it goes into to, into the develop branch or is develop branch sort of the first time they get feedback from so they can always run a test manually uh, for the most part they are testing the functionality that they're building and making sure that it's working as expected and and we expect that before they commit to develop uh, and then once once they're committing it to develop they expect that it will work um, we don't have a, a huge, I mean, we have some larger projects that are running that we will do a, a longer running, like a, an example would be a major upgrade where we have several sites that we're upgrading from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8, and in Drupal's case, that's a full rebuild. Oh, okay. And so we will put those on an entirely different branch and have may, may even have two different dev copies so that uh, we can still work on the Drupal 7 and, uh, version and get things out while the Drupal 8 is being built. Uh, okay, so Drupal 8's being built by Drupal, or who, what's the build? It's, um, well, Drupal 8 is has been around for 
four years now, nearly. Uh, and so the core code is all solid. Uh, there, but we are adapting their site to use it, which means generally building, rebuilding the theme, the look and feel of the website, uh, re-implementing uh, re the architecture, because Drupal is really uh, a platform for architecting websites uh, with different content types and fields and relationships and all of that. And so all of that needs to, some of that can be brought through, uh, over with some migration scripts, but a lot of that needs to be rebuilt or at least uh, some new decisions made because the widgets for various forms or provided by different modules and different different improvements. So more or less what we do in that case is we are rebuilding the site in Drupal 8 and migrating the content into it. Let's see, I remember call you have three branches. You have the, you talked about master, and then you have a stage branch, and then you have develop branch. Is that right? So we talked about master and develop. Uh, we call the middle one release. Oh, okay. And that reflects a third uh, copy of the site. So we'll have a the, the production copy of the site, we'll have the development copy of the site, and then we'll have a stage copy of the site. Now, we actually run through two different kinds of tests at different times. So a push to the develop branch kicks off our behavior-driven design tests. Uh, so we're using BHAT in the PHP world. Uh, other languages, it's Cucumber. Uh, and these are tests that drive a browser through a script of filling in forms and clicking buttons and looking for text on the page. So it's very much a feature, uh, kind of a, a feature test where it's testing the entire system okay. as opposed to unit testing of just a part. So that happens in the merge to develop. We want to make sure that we haven't broken any functionality. Once we think we have everything on the develop branch that we want to push out to the server, we are going to create a release. And we have a bot in a chat room that we tell, and we ask it to create a release. We'll uh, give it a release note, and um, it will take and merge what's in the develop branch into the the release branch and deploy it to our stage copy and then it kicks off visual regression tests so we with right i found that very interesting yes keep going so with that every site has a list of paths a list of urls that is going to take a screenshot of the stage copy and of the production copy and do an image diff on them and highlight any pixels that are different Nice. And give us a percentage count. Now, I mean, a lot of our sites have ads on them or or sliders, so we always see differences. I mean, ninety five percent of our sites have have URLs that differ every time. Mm. Uh, but we've got you know the tool that we're using will give us a nice. Uh, it'll show, load it up in a web page where we can see exactly which pixels are different, and see the the two screenshots that it took, and we can open those up and look and see is this something that's just content related? We probably don't care. Is this an actual uh, change that we didn't expect, or? Is our stage site broken? A lot mm. of times, uh, you'll get false positives on some of the tests, uh, the earlier tests. But if it doesn't deploy smoothly, the stage site will show errors, and those really stand out in our screenshot tests. Mm. So it's like a really easy way to say, "Hey, there's a problem with this release." And at that point, we can either go back to dev and fix it if it's a serious thing, or it's highlighting test uh, deployment steps that aren't done. And sometimes with uh, Drupal. 
example, or even more with WordPress, if it's content related, you've got to go recreate the content or um, various other steps, especially in older versions of Drupal, to to get your changes out on the on the on the release. So, so our bot will keep track of your release steps for you. So that uh, so basically, you at that point you run through what do you need to do on the staged copy of the site to get your changes into effect mm. and develop your list of release uh, steps. Okay. And then, uh, and then at that point, can, can I ask? So that's a manual step. So you're using a human being to use their built-in pattern recognition and understanding of the feature to to, to call out problems. How long does that step take? So the the automated step, the visual regression testing is a bit slow uh, for the the automated part. That some of our sites will run in five to ten minutes, but a lot of them are over an hour. So the execution of the automation maybe up to an hour. Yeah, and, and in some cases, close to two hours, okay. so depending on how many URLs we put in there. Because if you're covering, I don't know if it's comprehensive, if you're checking every link, or if it's just generally happy path. We want to pick, basically, each each template of the page, each kind of page that's on the site, and make sure there aren't any significant problems. Oh, okay. So you, you think about like uh, the different page, like types of pages and then you kind of hit a few of them so you're smoke testing based on yep. types of pages okay yeah we'll do all, most of the main navigation and then make sure that we're adding pages of each type and so then once that's done we'll get the the, the actual results that we can just follow a link to the website where it's been extracted and review and most of the time after you're familiar with a particular site uh, it's just a minute or two of review that we're doing okay. um, if it's a major site and and especially if there are some really uh, intensive graphic elements, and and we uh, we do look at the details more than the broad strokes in these. So it's like looking in the footer mm. is everything showing up mm. in the header has something kicked over to a different spot, and we're testing in four different uh, screen widths uh, as well. So we get the mobile, we get widescreen, and a couple stops in between. Next episode, John Locke reveals more secrets about his way of pushing WordPress and Drupal changes without breaking your site. We'll learn more about his visual diff tools and this. Whenever we talk about build pipelines or whenever I talk about build pipelines and test automation, uh, I feel like it's always nice to like observe and think about, well, what is the fastest path through your pipeline as a theoretical limit of fast? So how fast is it to check in a simple change and go through all of the test steps and then go to deploy?